laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. The clip you guys played for my album, um, you know, the, the it's an evergreen bit about the system and the military budget, but, you know, at the same time, I started off by talking about Trump, and that's usually how I broach any type of Trumpy topic, is I can, you know, you kind of pull them in with a little bit of... Uh, here's what Trump's up to, and then, you know, you test the waters, and then you actually go into your bigger systemic problems um, and make jokes about those. So, yeah, names uh, and faces change. Exactly. I'm completely with you guys. It's 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 not the, the politician in charge. It's the uh, system that is in charge of our politicians. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics you can't laugh at and we find ways to laugh at them in the never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. Today we have with us, live from Omaha Beach uh, from in Nebraska, Steve Mers. What's up, Steve? Hey, yeah, you can't see me unless you're watching a highlight, which this probably won't be. Who knows? It might be. <laughs> Bitch, it might be. And uh, <laughs> joining us, our guest today, live from Wyoming. Which is not uh, on a beach. Was Wyoming a beach? I know Utah. They had Utah Beach and Omaha. Anyway, uh, it's Travis Irvine. Travis, what's going on, man? Hello. Coming to you live from Wyoming Beach, where we've got uh, mountains and meth. Mountains <laughs> of meth. It's pretty much mountains of meth. Mountains and meth or mountains of meth? Both. Both. All three combined. It's beautiful mm. out here. Mm, that's actually the state motto. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis Irvine uh, ran for mayor of Bexley, Ohio, which is a suburb of Columbus back in 2007. Yeah, yeah, that is correct. Uh, you ran for governor. You ran for the state house and uh, you've been doing comedy for how long amidst all that? Uh, probably 2007 is when I, I count my start because that's when I started doing it every week. But um, I definitely I dabbled in college. I experimented in college. Uh, with the comedy. Um, but yeah, I'd say 2007, pretty much when I was running for Mayor Bexley is simultaneously when I decided I wanted to also do comedy. Yeah, politics and comedy. It's hand in hand, two sides of the same coin. It really is when you think about it. Right, and that's what we're going to talk about today because the election is tomorrow and we decided that, why not? Actually, I decided. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, but I mean, he's along for the ride. Um, but you know, you hear this all the time, especially around elections, when comedians start talking politics from the stage, people will say, stick to comedy. But right. the irony <laughs> there is politics or, or comedy was a product of holding up a mirror to society. Like comedy, the point of comedy is to show people the irony and the absurdity of the system in which we live. Because boiled down to its bare minimum, our systems, our political systems, our economic systems are all made up. We made them up. 
So that means we can fix them, we can change them, and therefore they can be and should be ridiculed to the utmost degree. It's a long-winded description of this, what we're going to talk about today. That's very, very good summary there. Yeah, I mean, comedy comedy is a search for truth and politics is a perpetuation of lies. So uh, they need each other. They do go hand in hand. It's the yin and yang. And uh, I absolutely, I love it when comedians get political, as long as they're not idiots, of course. Uh, you know, you do want to, you do want to know what you're talking about. I think that's the, uh, that's the fine line of doing political comedy. Right. It's, you know, the, the political comedy, I mean, I really enjoy watching uh, a comedy making like liberal based points and getting an audience of conservatives to laugh or vice versa. Like it's, it's just making that connection. And I think comedy is a, is a tool that, that can be utilized to connect people who have uh, unlike ideologies. And I'll just point out that funny politicians always do better um, mm-hmm. than serious politics. I mean, you think about Obama could deliver a joke. Um, Reagan, uh, he couldn't deliver much, but he could deliver a line because he was an actor at one point. Um, so, you know, uh, the use of humor is very important, even for politicians. You know, it's, it's like a colloqu- colloquial. Is that the right? Colloquial. Could someone look up how to say that word and then dub it over how I said it? You did it. Um, okay. Well, good. Um, but, you know, it just, it, it does add a, uh, an element of, I mean, humanity, honestly, to a politician. It kind of humanizes it when you can make a room laugh, especially as a politician, which is why I also encourage comedians to run for office. Maybe not all of them, but um, there's certainly some, some very good ones out there who, who I think would be good public servants too. And our current president... Whether intentional or not, I mean, we had a whole episode about this, but pretty funny, pretty funny guy. You know what? That's the thing. I I am not a fan of Trump, but I give him one or two um, points a year where he will genuinely make me laugh. And this year, 2020, amidst all the chaos of 2020, um, Trump's impression of Mike Bloomberg at CPAC, where he got low behind the podium and did this Mike Bloom was honestly hilarious. And it was, um, yeah, I give him, he's a performer, you know, Mm -hmm. he's at the end of the day, he's not a lawyer. He's not a statesman. He is an entertainer and that's how he's gotten to where he's gotten. So, um, for, for good or ill, we have a very funny president. (laughs) He crushes at his rallies. He crushes at those rallies. (laughs) I think that's really the matters the most, you know, you got this, (laughs) Giant audience, <laughs> at least making it seem like you're legitimately funny. I mean, it's not like he'd kill anywhere, but when he's got his audience, he's got his, uh, you know, his niche audience. He can, yeah, he can kill in front of an audience and he can kill anyone on Fifth Avenue and his numbers would go up. Absolutely. Yeah. Or kill 200,000 plus people on yes. whatever street. Whatever street <laughs> they lived on. I don't care. It's not, uh, <laughs> it's, if he doesn't have a building there, he doesn't really care. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If yeah, he talks about the suburbs, <laughs> he would be shocked at the uh, the squalor of the suburbs in America. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of being an entertainer, uh, Travis has produced several documentaries, kind of uh, poking fun at the con- the political construct uh, in which we live. Um, and you know, we talked about him doing comedy, and uh, let you get to know him a little bit through. One of his brief clips is from his album, Guy from Ohio, which came out in 2017, so right after the 2016 election. Here's the thing I hate Trump 
most for right now. And there are multiple things that I could hate Trump for already within his first term. Is that he's raised the military budget by 50 billion more dollars. He came in and said, whoa, Washington's spending way too much money. We gotta stop spending so much money. And then he goes and raises the military budget by 50 billion more dollars. That's insane, right? Because our military budget is already 700 to 800 billion dollars. Now what's weird about that very large number is that if you took all the other countries in the world that even have nuclear capabilities and added up all our military budgets combined, it still equals up to less than half of what we spend on our military budget. That's like a neighborhood squirt gun fight, and there's like a kid there with like a Super Soaker 100, and one kid's got like a Super Soaker 200, and one kid's got like, hey man, I got a Super Soaker 500. And then we show up in a fire truck just coming in. <laughs> Fuck you, kids! <laughs> and it's not even water, it's gasoline. <laughs> and we peed in it. <laughs> or that kid. All right. That's a classic bit. Yeah. I it, came up with that bit in 2007 during Bush's term. I remember coming up with that bit and then I went and debuted it at Casa Nueva in Athens, Ohio at a comedy show. And um, it's weird to, to have written a bit 13 years ago, the year I started comedy <laughs> and to have it still be relevant. But that's the United States, baby. We just love pumping billions of dollars into that war machine. Hmm. I mean that's yeah I, that that's a that's an evergreen joke unfortunately but, right you know, that's that's who we are as a species <clears throat> I mean yeah well as Americans I mean that's there's a lot of uh, you know talking about documentaries that that were going to be shown but some of my favorite documentaries take on the um, the the war machine in America I mean why we fight by Eugene Jarecki is a great uh, example but you know the United States since World War II we just we got this economy that is based on making military shit and if we don't use it we sell it we sell it to other countries and um, and if they're not buying it we also have our 1033 program that gets all the military equipment to the police and local police departments all across the country. Um, so yeah, I have, I have no problem making fun of the military industrial complex. When I do that bit live now, I even uh, will pull out a, a, uh, crumpled up dollar bill in my pocket and say, just imagine 700 billion of those. And I throw it in the audience and then I advise no one to touch it. Cause I need that for drinking money. So <laughs> a visual aid to a joke always helps. Yeah, um, but it, it doesn't work on CD recordings. So I dropped it from, <laughs> from, uh, from that. Yeah. Uh, it's a sad state of affairs when so much money goes into death and causing death Yeah, in the quest for peace. In the uh, quest for peace. Open up, baby. It's peace. <laughs> cold, hard peace. Get ready for some. Yeah, cold, hard peace. That's a good way to put it. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, whether you're a Bernie kid or a Ron Paul kid, most of the millennials I know are either like Ron Paul libertarians or Bernie Sanders progressives. And that's mm. kind of, I am hoping that, you know, we all come together on the things we agree on because Bernie and Ron Paul both voted against the Iraq war. They both voted against the Patriot act. Um, and, you know, I, that is one of the things progressives and libertarians always seem to work together against the warfare state that we have um, in the United States, because at the end of the day, yeah, $700 billion a year. It's, it's more than any other country spends. It's more than, all the the next like 13 countries combined all their military budgets combined um like i said in the hilarious bit 
And it really is the reason why we can't have nice things. You know, Bernie people want to know why can't we have healthcare and education? It's because we pump all of our taxpayer dollars into that. And if you're a Ron Paul libertarian kid, um, you know, that's the reason why you pay so much taxes uh, to the federal government because we're out blowing up the world. We're, we've got an empire. And um, at the end of the day, you know, empires are very, very rarely, uh, very rarely stay democracies. You know, empires, the, the bigger they get, the less democratic they get. So, mm. um, yeah, it's a multi pronged uh, problem. And all I can do is make fun of it because I've tried running for office and uh, no one cares about uh, what I say yet. You're ahead of your time. I'm ahead of my time. I could do it like Bernie and start when I turn 40 and just start running like I'm a serious person. Well, I mean, we can look back. I mean, your your campaigns are well documented. Yeah. Kind of guide us. I mean, what was your your reason, first of all, for mayor, right? Running for mayor. Like what drove you to do that and kind of guide us through your political evolution? Yeah, well, I, 2007 was, um, I mean, I had just graduated from Ohio University in 2006. I went and worked a, a job in the Bahamas for about a year, grew big, uh, nasty, nappy white guy dreadlocks, which uh, I still apologize for. It's the only haircut that's offensive to all races. So I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. Um, and, um, <laughs> you know, I really was looking racist. For- Yes, there's only two. It's only aff- well, it's only it's only offensive to two races. Man, I've never so, seen uh, an Asian with dreads. That that would be the day. Oh gosh, that you make sure you yell at that person. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, no, it was you know I was looking for meaning. It was also the end of the Bush administration, um, and I think I was I was a political kid. I was political in high school. I was political in college. And um, I think just the the opportunity opened up to run for mayor in that in my hometown, uh, my neighbors were dealing with uh, a big problem with City Hall. City Hall had colluded with the local university to rezone my neighborhood that I grew up in. And what they were doing is Capital University in Bexley, Ohio, was buying up people's homes and then knocking them down and building dorms. So like the na- they were basically decimating the neighborhood and turning it, um, taking their campus and spreading it out into the, the suburb houses. So that is originally why I ran for mayor in 2007, was to speak out against that um, and also to serve a greater political purpose um, that I, I felt I was being called to. Um, and of course, is the documentary, uh, American Mayor, shows is a short documentary about the race um is now available at american mayor movie the movie i'll check i'll double check the website um before i send it to you guys but american mayor is now available on vimeo it was on amazon prime for a while and then amazon prime purged a bunch of content this summer so um i think we've been censored by jeff bezos but Mm -hmm. we've moved we've moved it over the vimeo and so people can still check out the movie because at the end of the day, running for local office, you actually can make a difference. And that's why I think is a big point of the movie. That's where okay. it starts. But uh, Jeff Bezos getting involved in local politics. He has a stake in Capital University, I guess. Apparently, I would not be surprised if he's on the board over there. And, and, and I had no idea. <laughs> All right. And then uh, and then what came next? What was your next step politically? Well, after that, I moved to, I mean, obviously, uh, as spoiler alert for the documentary, I did not win. Again, there is a happy ending and that by running, you can make a difference. Um, But then I moved to D.C. I moved to D.C. and took an internship with Chuck Schumer, 
Um, uh, Chuck Schumer is, is very good because I was in the press office and Chuck Schumer from New York, Senator from New York, he loves his press. Bob Dole used to say the most dangerous place in Washington is in between Chuck Schumer and a camera. And uh, so I learned a lot uh, on Capitol Hill and it inspired me to, you guessed it, move back home to Ohio and run for Congress myself. Um, so I did that in 2010. Uh, ran for U.S. Congress in Ohio's 12th congressional district uh, against a congressman named Pat T. Berry, who's a Republican. He has since retired. And, of course, they redistricted the uh, all the, you know, they do that every 10 years in Ohio and everywhere um, where they got to redistrict everything. And the party that's in charge usually rigs it against them or, or rigs it against everyone else. Um, so uh, the Republicans carved me out of the 12th district after my run against Pat T. Berry. I think they were... Uh, they were very scared of all of the hilarious commercials I made uh, that <laughs> year. Because 2010, the, our biggest claim to fame was our, our commercials. We had a commercial specifically called Give the Two-Party System the Third Finger, mm-hmm. where we have a bunch of people walking up to the camera, and they're not flicking it off. It's, it's the old bit from elementary school where you're mm-hmm. like, hey, 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 look at that. And then they're like, whoa. And you're like, nah, it's, the, it's, the other, it's not the middle finger. It's the other one. You dummy. It's a classic bit. So and um, it was yeah. controversial <laughs> enough. It, it got on uh, PBS and it got on uh, CNN, Anderson Cooper. And uh, it was one of the best things about 2010, about our entire campaign, was that our videos got national recognition. Speaking of that, uh, Jeremy has that clip queued up, ready to go. If we wanna... Damn, that Jeremy guy, he's on it. He is on top of it. For the past 10 years, Republicans and Democrats have let us down. They have let me down. They let me down. That's why this year I'm doing something different. I am voting for something new. That's why this year I'm giving the two-party system the third finger. 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 I'm Travis Irvine, and I approve this message because it's time to give the two-party system the third finger. Three triples. Third option. I basically put all my diverse friends into the, into the video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this video can't be just white people flicking off the camera. So right. <laughs> uh, we made sure we got that part right. Yeah. You don't want to misconstrue a message. Like, wait, is that, is that a, is that a supremacy thing? What is yeah. We, who knows? Well, that's yeah. the thing. That's, we did get some complaints about the commercial, but again, ultimately um, PBS NewsHour had a segment on funny campaign commercials. They said it was one of the most clever campaign commercials of the 2010 cycle um, just because we were just doing what we had to do to get noticed. Um, And ultimately the Libertarian Party gave me an award uh, for it as well, a candidate award in 2012. So it all worked out, baby, just for that dumb elementary school bit that I love so much. (laughs) So T. Barry obviously won that seat, right? Handedly, my God, got my ass kicked. Actually, if you want to go through my numbers so far, um, uh, mayor, I got 5% of the vote, but it was 201 votes. So 200 other people, and then clearly me um, voting for myself. And then uh, for Congress, my percentage went down to 4%, and I think that was about 9,000 votes. Mm. Um, and then, uh, well, and then the next one that I think we'll probably talk about next was governor, and that's obviously um, way bigger. It's a big state full of millions of people who will not vote for you. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the status quo is much too comfortable. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so it's kind of, how being too normal and genuine makes you almost unappealing to a, a swath of, of of people that just I don't know. 
I like it. I voted for you. <laughs> I you were on my ballot. Thank you. Yeah. I had yeah. I had the comedian, the Ohio comedian vote locked down. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure because yeah. I, I'd go down to Go Bananas and see all those guys, and they're all like, "Yeah, we all voted for you," and all the Columbus comedians voted for me, and all the Cleveland comedians, and a few. I'm even thinking a few Dayton comedians uh, voted for me too. But that was, and I, I still want to know if Dave Chappelle voted for me because Dave Chappelle's kind of a libertarian. I mean, he loves weed. He hates taxes. He has that great line about the Second Amendment exists if the first one doesn't work out. Um, so, you know, if I find out Dave Chappelle voted for me um, and Steve, I can die happy. That should be the headline on your website. Yeah. <laughs> Next time you run for office, Dave Chappelle voted for me. Dave, did you vote? Yeah. Did you vote for me? <laughs> Steve did. It. Steve <laughs> did. Carl, Carl Spaeth in Cincinnati did. So I don't know why Dave Chappelle wouldn't. <laughs> That's actually a better campaign slogan. <laughs> yeah. Carl Spaeth in Cincinnati voted for me. Will you? Carl's great. I gave him a flyer um, after the election was over for whatever. And he was like, oh, great. Should I throw this away? Like I threw away my vote for you. <laughs> what year did you run for governor? Governor was 2018. So that was the okay. most recent one. And honestly, the hardest one for sure. You know, you, you start small, you start local. You can see even if you run and lose, you can make a difference. Governor of Ohio was just, it was very big. It was a lot of traveling. I loved coming up to Cleveland. I think our best campaign moments all came in Cleveland. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I only got 2% of the vote. The Libertarians needed me to get 3% of the vote to have automatic ballot access for the next four years. So there was a goal to the campaign that I fell short of. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I got 80,000 votes and 80,000 people, you know. Um, I'm assuming most of those were comedians and uh, the rest were very good, uh, very good people on both sides, I'm sure. But, you mm-hmm. know, it's, uh, it isn't a, a stadium full of people who voted for me. So at the end of the day, I'll take it. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's an NFL stadium. For, not quite Ohio Stadium, but, you know, that's a that's a big stadium. Yeah, it's like uh, First Energy. How many yeah. people fit in First Energy Stadium? I don't know. I think, mm. I'll tell you. Statistically, to enough to statistically t- see two little people. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> good Good to know. Steve's so about 100,000, something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think, uh, and I, I watched that, that clip that you included, too, uh, between – um, was it Cordry and and yeah? Did uh, you guys have? Do you guys have that clip? Do you want to show that clip? Honestly, yeah. that was uh, every campaign has a a, a key moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my for for mayor, one of my jingles got on Jay Leno. Um, eventually, it wasn't the year I ran. He put it on like two years later, so that ended up being the 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 key moment of that campaign. The third finger video was obviously the key moment of the 2010 congressional campaign. And I'd say the only thing I did right in all of 2018 running for governor was this moment at cleveland.com. It was my only time being in the same room with Cordray and DeWine um, because the Ohio Debate Commission famously raised their threshold of getting into the debates from 5% to 10% after a poll showed me at 6%. So Mm. uh, Cleveland, I love Cleveland. I'm always going to love Cleveland for letting me – for let me do this. And uh, for you guys, I love pointing out the fact that um, DeWine and Cordray both showed up in black SUVs with their staffs. And uh, I showed up with a nice coffee uh, with Josh Morrow in his truck and he dropped me off. <laughs> and uh, I walk in like just some millennial for a job interview. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, you want to throw up that clip, Jeremy? 
Um, lastly, again, you know, these guys have kind of blamed each other for the ECOT crisis, the opioid crisis, um, and it's interesting that it came up at the last minute. I thought it wouldn't come up, but I, I would really like for both of you to acknowledge that on the rape kits issue, you both did a good job. You both made it better. Mark Dan gave you a mess. Mr. Corte made it better. Mr. DeWine made it better. So if you guys could please just shake each other's hand and congratulate each other on doing that for the women of Ohio. I think that's a big deal. I'm not going to agree. I'll shake your hand, Richard, but I'm not agreeing with you. All right. Fair I'll enough. shake your hand. But if I could do that, imagine what I can do in the state legislature. <laughs> Take that. That's, um, so uh, yeah, for a little bit of, of um, uh, what do they call it, context, um, Mike DeWine, so I'm in the Cleveland.com meeting for an hour and a half, and the majority of that, I probably talked for 10 minutes total over the entire thing. DeWine and Corjay were sitting next to each other and just kept arguing like an old married couple. Um, I kept offering multiple times to sit in between them. I was like, I can, I can move my chair over there. The editorial board, um, I've, the editorial board of Cleveland.com wrote that I added several much needed moments of levity to the entire thing. And then the fact that I closed it with that, um, there was this big issue. It wasn't even a big issue. It was a non-issue, but it was a DeWine talking point because Cordray and DeWine are both attorneys general. They both served as attorney general of Ohio. And there was this big issue about rape kits being untested. And Cordray had inherited the problem, done what he could to make it better. Then he lost to DeWine. And then DeWine continued to build on what Cordray did to make it better. Um, but during the governor campaign, DeWine kept throwing Cordray under the bus saying he, you know, he wasn't keeping women of Ohio safe. So I was trying to correct the record, get them to acknowledge that they both did a good job on at least one thing and shake each other's hands. You saw how DeWine was very reluctant. Um, and then as soon as they shook each other's hands, they fell into my trap. And um, luckily we got that joke. We ended with a joke of that terrible contentious hour and a half meeting and um, I'm just so grateful that cleveland.com had me in there to relieve the tension and to end on a positive note um, because mm -hmm. that really it really shows what when you just have an independent minded millennial you know or even just it doesn't need to be a millennial just a, a third party uh, in any debate it can really just help people stay focused on the issues and not uh, whatever they're arguing about that day. And and I got to credit Ross Perot for that, because when I was eight years old, Ross Perot was allowed in the presidential debates. And um, I thought having a third guy in there who was pretty funny and everyone kept agreeing with him and everything, um, I thought that was pretty cool. So I want to thank Ross Perot, and I want to thank Cleveland.com, and I want to thank uh, Steve. And that's it. Those are the only people I want to thank. All right. <laughs> what about Josh Morrow? Oh yeah, scratch yeah. Steve. Put take Steve off the list. Put Josh Morrow on. He yeah. drove me there. He let me stay with him. Um, uh, big big ups to Josh Morrow. Honestly, <laughs> I, I mean having that third voice, I think is so important too. I mean, there's there's the old the old adage. There's three sides to every story, and absolutely, you know, there's binary Republican versus Democrat, red versus blue, us versus them kind of mentality it naturally creates like a schism between people. So we forget that we're people and it's like, Oh, are you voting for Trump? Or are you voting for Biden? Are you Republican? Or are you Democrat? Yeah. It's so much more nuanced than that. And that's what makes it so easy to, to comment on it as a comic, because if you have two sides to the story, it's, it's so simple just to look at that whole construct and be like, this is messed up. I'm yeah. going to talk about it. 
Yeah, exactly. And you can even look at, uh, you know, it's almost like, again, I felt like I was uh, a marriage counselor uh, with DeWine and Corey where it's just like, look, now he's right about this and you're right about this. Why don't you guys get along, you know, talk about it. Um, and it seems like no one's doing that anymore. And you see that at a federal level and you see it at a state level. Um, you know, there's several cities where you see it at a city level. You know, we've been dealing with a lot of um, criminal justice issues this year that have been, I mean, they've, well, they've always existed. They're just really coming to light this year. So, you know, you can even see it in cities like Columbus and Cleveland. These are democratic uh, run cities who just let the police do whatever they want. Um, and you need to, it's time to have a mediator, right? Cause what we're doing doesn't work anymore. And it's so frustrating to be this young millennial. Uh, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting older. That's for sure. Um, but I at least want to see a better world. And I feel like the whole thing's run by crazy 80 and 70 year olds. I mean, even just yeah. look, looking at our choices for president uh, this year, you know, you got two senile 70 year old uh, creeps <laughs> running for president. Um, and then you, we do have a libertarian Joe Jorgensen, um, who is a very nice lady, but uh, kind of like me running for governor. She shouldn't be president. She's not qualified at all but yeah I, I, if you do want to waste your vote in ohio for joe jorgensen i highly recommend it because it uh helps us keep our ballot access if she gets three percent the fact that i failed to get three percent for governor uh means joe jorgensen has to get three percent as president in ohio for there to be a libertarian option the next four years if she doesn't hit that then um there's just going to be republicans and democrats in ohio um which you know we've seen how that's worked out so yeah, this this election feels like it's the last vestiges of an old world just hanging on for dear life. Yeah, COVID has really exposed so many problems and um, how just just structurally uh, our, our economy, our governments, our healthcare systems, um, our, our way, the ways that we deal with each other. It's it's really exposed everything. Um, someone from Italy had a, a quote that I really like that um, the old world is dying. The new world has not yet arrived. And we are in this strange limbo in between period where we are oddly enough kind of writing our own history. So I, I really, uh, I'm excited by a lot of the young people have stepped up at least, you know, especially on the criminal justice stuff, you know, the, the protests in the streets and everything. Um, but I do want to see, I, you know, from here on, I want to see what we do. Right. Because, uh, it it is going to be our world soon. You know, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Trump, Biden, these are people, uh, these are political creatures of the past. And, um, you know, within the next 10 years, I really hope, you know, yeah, yeah, let's just say it. I mean, they will. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set them up, Steve. You knock them down. Yeah, you got, you can say what I can't say. Uh, because, uh, well, obviously, I think your political career has been launched as of that very phrase. So, (laughs) yeah, right. Mm. It, I mean, Jimmy Carter will still be alive somehow. Oh, God, I hope so. What a great, sweet man. And honestly, a pretty good president, too. Some yeah. people some people like to throw him under the bus for the whole oil crisis, but all he was doing was trying to get us off oil. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it just, it, yeah, and it just backfired. Uh, and, uh, you know, George H.W. swooped in. So, yeah, it's and, and that's the thing is. 30 years later, we're still having this conversation. Yeah. 40 years yeah. later, we're still Absolutely. having this conversation about oil. 
we're still yeah we're still living in this political world of the past absolutely we're we're still have this beefed up military apparatus we're still relying on oil um all the all the 70 and 80 year old politicians were 60 and 50 back in the 80s and 90s and we're living with all the decisions they made you know every single one i mean you know joe biden he he got that uh, 94 crime bill passed, you know, that's led to a lot of the things we're dealing with now. So every, every single person um, who is not under 40 is responsible for this world that we live in right now. Yeah. And, and that's, that's grounds for a lot of material. I mean, <laughs> I, I, t- yeah. I have a, I have a joke where it's like next debate, I want to see Trump and Biden, these two men in their mid to late seventies, Set up the Wi-Fi in the room. Let's see how they do with that. Like work together to set up the Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. Like make your phone a hotspot. If you can't do that, then you shouldn't be able to run the country. Yeah, it's like a team building exercise. Yeah. Let them them, uh, find the plug and then figure out what to do with it. Uh, We got to call the operator. We got to figure out maybe she knows what to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember having a similar tweet about that in 2016 that – um, they were, they had a question about cybersecurity and literally the two people running for president who answered the question is a lady who had to delete a bunch of classified emails and a guy who can't stop tweeting. I mean, this, mm. it's just every four years, it seems like we have this same South Park episode of a, a, a giant douche and a turd sandwich. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the end of the day, the majority of Americans are either independent or they don't vote. And, um, I really hope, uh, I don't know. We got to start getting millions and millions of people more involved, honestly. Yeah. Cause that's the saddest thing I think is that there's so many people who just don't have time to vote because they're too busy working and trying to pay the bills. Right. Yeah. Let's have this on a Tuesday. Well, yeah. What that, well, it used to be a beautiful thing where all the farmers would go to like the, the capital city and there would be, you know, long lines of, it literally was a holiday. Like back in, at some point in American history, it was very revered. And then at some point, some people were like, yeah, I don't know about all these people voting. Around, around the time black people got to vote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's That or seems, and, and women. Interesting yeah. how that worked yeah. out. Yeah. 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 That's a very good point. Thank you for, see, this is why Steve needs to run for uh, whatever. You got yeah. my vote, yeah. Steve. Hell Yeah. <laughs> you know the, the 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 two candidates should at least be able to superficially explain quantum computing while in blackface, like Justin Trudeau did. Yeah, absolutely. So. It was a great Halloween costume. <laughs> Aladdin. <laughs> like, he was Aladdin. <laughs> he would have been fine with his own pigment. Like it would have worked. Absolutely. <laughs> but he's like, nope, gotta go real dark. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason. <laughs> It was all they, yeah, it was all they had left that day at the, <laughs> yeah. uh, at the um, racist store. <laughs> yeah, the racist spirit Halloween store. <laughs> oh man, they should have to do physical challenges. <laughs> like they should have to solve I mean, they, like trivia questions and like. Yeah, well, that's what's funny. Them standing there for ninety minutes is a physical challenge for both of those mm. guys. So right. I think we're right there. It's just like, yeah, now they just need like to uh, balance a ping pong, a uh, ping pong ball, ping pong ball on his nose or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they should take away a, the podium. Take away the podium. Yeah. <laughs> that, Cause they're just there. You see both of them are just like, that's just, ah, a, that's just a walker. It's just a, a walker. It's a talker yeah. walker. It's yeah. a walker where you can be a talker. 
That's yeah. a walker talker. We should actually invent that, Steve. Yeah. That's what we should do. Are you tired of getting around like this? Do you want to feel powerful like this? It's uh, yeah. the new talker walker. It's a podium. It's just a podium with just wheels. Just a podium, yeah. It's yep. not the person with the best ideas who gets heard. It's the loudest person in the room, and that could be you with the walker talker. <laughs> with the walker talker. I say we move bingo night to Wednesdays. Set yourself apart. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> They should be running for office at their local uh, their local retirement. Community. Yes. That's oh, it. my God. That would be so great. Let's put them all into one home. Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Trump, Biden, uh, Dianne Feinstein. Anyone, Schumer, who's over, anybody, anyone who's over 70, put them all into one retirement home and get those cameras rolling. It's going to be comedy gold. Oh, man. It'll be like Big Brother. Uh. <laughs> yeah, except it's like Big Brother with a snooze button. It's, yeah. like, it's just literally like Diane Feinstein and Mitch McConnell looking for the soup. <laughs> yeah. It was here yesterday. It was, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> it was lentil uh, yesterday. Um, <laughs> that's a pretty good Diane Feinstein, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you just crank up the old Jewish woman <laughs> voice and you got it. <laughs> Uh, so and, and that that brings us to you know the the Supreme Court, which is like we're this is an institution that is so old school, but like I mean nine nine people, okay, fine, but there's what there's thirteen districts in the United States, right? Yeah. Uh, so why are there? Why didn't we adapt to the court to that? Yes, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the United States runs on so many thirteen. Uh, I mean, we got 13 uh, Federal Reserve uh, printing plants around uh, around the country. We got 13, um, yeah, uh, judicial districts. You're absolutely right. I, I would think having one, and even then, having one person in charge of each district seems like that doesn't seem adequate or fair, um, especially if they're not elected. Um, but at the same time, that that is our system. Yeah, I think. The frustrating thing is that I think so much of us know that our, our system as is, is not adequate. Um, but how do you, how do we change it? You know, yeah. um, there's little things that have been done correctly throughout time, right? We abolished slavery. We started to let everyone vote. Um, there's things that, you know, we, we started respecting workers' rights. So kids aren't dying in mines and stuff. There's little things that we've done right along the way. Um, but there's just still some major institutional overhauls that I think I don't know how they get done. But, you know, even just the two party system is a great example. Why in the world are we not like every other country that we inspired to, you know, adopt our democracy and have a, a more of a parliamentary system where we can have four or five, even up to seven major political parties. And every other year, you know, each party gets so many seats. And then what you then what they're faced with is instead of this two party stonewalling, where just you know nothing's getting done depending on who has the majority, you actually have to build coalitions and work together on different issues. And that's usually what you have in nonpartisan cities and local governments. You know, you get seven people elected to city council; they all got different ideas. But at the end of the day, they're just here to buy the mulch and make sure it gets around the city. You know, mm-hmm. so everyone's just got to kind of come together on on the job at hand and, and get the, uh, the task done. Right. To me, yeah. to me, this is, we all work for the same company. Why are we fighting against each other? Like we work. Exactly. 
I would agree. Yeah. If anything, you know, we do the work and the top brass takes the profits. You know, that's one of those things is uh, I agree with unions. I like it. I love worker owned companies, you know, where, I mean, so so many companies are doing this now where if you work there, you work there for so long, you actually get stock in the the company. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, you have so many companies that get bailed out with taxpayer dollars. They ship that money to all their shareholders and then they fire a bunch of workers. Yeah. And, and the shareholders, what, what do they, they just invest. That's it. That's that they have no other interest in nope, the well-being yeah. of that organization for the most part. For the most part, all they've done is, is put in money. Um, yeah. And, and at the end of the day, money, money talks and it walks. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, well, yeah, we all know about that. They're in Lordstown. GM got bailed out by the government. Uh, Trump went down there and said, all the jobs are coming back. Don't sell your homes. And what happened? Sure enough, GM just bailed out their their shareholders and fired everybody in Lordstown. So eh, it just keeps happening. So, um, you know, we all got to do what we can to, to, to fight it. So it literally starts, oddly enough, it starts at running at the local level. Yeah, that's, that's where you have the most impact. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um, you can, and then you can move up, mm-hmm. and that's you know something I'm learning out here in Wyoming as part of this, uh, a, a part of this Libertarian Party Frontier Project is that you know if you're a city councilman, you're you have um, the, the the credibility to run for state house, mm-hmm. and a lot of these state house races, even in Ohio, you got Republicans running unopposed. Um, you know, nobody's nobody's running against them, and barely anybody's voting for them. And so at the end of the day, I think if people can start to get involved and believe a little bit more, um, you know, I think that'll take away some of the, the cynicism about running for office and getting involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast episode with Justin Amash. Sure. From Michigan. And uh, he was Red, talking. He registered was talk- libertarian. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yep. Uh, he was talking about how, in Congress, you can't propose an idea. You can't propose a bill. You can't propose amendments to a bill. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can't just like bring them to the floor. Like, there's no freedom like of ideas. You know, right. if uh, whereas at a well-run company, you know, the executive door is open to people who have ideas. Whether right. it's a good idea or not doesn't matter. It's just that that. Um, that engagement that is that is really what matters. That, that human element of being able to pitch ideas and feel like part of the game. Mm-hmm. This yeah. old school way of doing things is stifling that. And that's that's prevalent not only in government, but it's prevalent in a lot of companies where the executives are older. There is a way of doing things, but that's such an industrial way of doing things. And we're in this this like fourth industri- this fourth industrial revolution essentially um, that, that's coming up that's based around algorithms and automation. It's like, that. that's why I joke about setting up the Wi-Fi. It's like, if you can't do that, we're fucked. Right. Yeah. No, um, Andrew Yang really pointed out a lot of that stuff too, which is fun. I mean, I, I, I like what Andrew Yang would talk about. I mean, he points out a lot of, of great issues. And you're absolutely right. Our, our, our current system is set up to stifle innovation. Um, whether it's old old people being married to the old ways or or old people being married to the money that they you know and the power that you know we see that in uh, Ohio right now with HB six 
the HB6 bill that, uh, if anyone, by the way, if anyone needs a repeal HB6 sign, let me know. I know uh, where, where all the signs are. We, <laughs> we basically, I stepped in and, and helped uh, Ohio Citizen Action get a bunch of repeal HB6 yard signs because HB6 is a perfect example. It was this energy bill that was paid for with $60 million of old energy money so they could get a $1.5 billion bailout from the Ohio State Legislature. And it worked, but now they've been caught and it, hopefully it gets repealed. Um, but that's a perfect example. We were bailing out old nuclear plants and old coal plants, including a coal plant that's in Indiana. It's not even in Ohio. It's just owned by the same company um, that paid for the bailout. So, you know, but like clean energy it should be a no brainer. All these other countries are getting almost like what, 80%, 90% off clean energy. There's so many different innovations now. Um, not just, I mean, even fracking has gotten a little safer. It's obviously not perfect, but solar, uh, uh, wind, windmills, hydroelectric that we could have all along the Great Lakes. I mean, there's actually, there's just so much innovation that could be done. But again, you see politicians and old money kind of colluding to keep things the way they are. You would think that history would be a, a, a guide in this case. Like, you know, when, when automobiles and airlines were, were being invented, all these passenger train companies just went out of business because they didn't adapt. Because right. they were, no, we're a train company. Like, we're not transportation. We're a train company. Mm -hmm. So focused on what they do rather than why they do it. And I think you know, we're seeing that again with oil companies. Like, why isn't Shell investing in solar? Why isn't, right. you know, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yeah. And some like, um, who's that? Like T Boone Pickens, I think. Yeah. Um, in Texas. <laughs> he's, he's one of those guys. Name. First of all, a great name. Yeah. The best um, name. He yeah, has to be a man. He has to be an oil tycoon <laughs> yeah. with that kind of name. It's like, I'm going to name my kid T Boone Pickens. It's like, he's going to be good at one thing. And that's making oil money. Um, black gold yeah black gold texas tea chomp chomp <laughs> um but you know even he even t boone pickens has managed to start investing uh more in in clean energy and research and everything like that you know some of them get it some of them like with hb6 with first energy and the old murray uh company out there in in eastern ohio they're just trying to pay for bailouts and it is it is a strange uh Strange set of affairs because you're absolutely right. Um, we just there, there needs to be innovation. We are we are at a point where there's so much great technology. Um, everyone is more connected and hypothetically smarter than ever before in history. So it's like, why can't we be? I don't know. Why can't we be doing all these great things that we've always that human history has always dreamed of? Right, flying cars and peace on Earth and traveling space and uh, eating edibles on the moon. You know, I mean, where's all that stuff that I was promised as a child? Yeah, oh my God, that sounds like such a cool experience. Yeah, dude, we mm. should get on that <laughs> asap. Eat edibles on the moon. There's no laws up there. It's the moon. Right. <laughs> You can't laugh at that. And I will say, even, I mean, what all the millennials I seem to know, and, and now the Gen Z kids are kind of stepping into this too, is there There does seem to be a, more of a sense of collective responsibility amongst uh, the younger generation, which again, I'm like 37 now, so I, I got to be careful. I keep loop, lumping myself in with everyone else, but, um, you know, under 40, let's just say that. I mean, the millennials are nearing 40, so... Um, but I, I really think we have a better um, collective sense of responsibility where it is like millennials, um, you know, are 
what drives us is, is like, I mean, even as comedians, you know, we have our, our passions like comedy and then we have our day jobs. Um, but at the end of the day, most of the effort and, you know, even things like this, most of what we do, we put our effort into things we like, right. And things that we want to change in, in our passions. Um, so the millennial generation, the younger generations are not like the older generations where it's like, go get a job and get a house and you get a pension and you work your way up in the company. Um, you know, millennials are more about starting their own companies and uh, things like that. So uh, again, I, I, I do think we're in the, the mid period um, that we talked about earlier, right? That the old world's dying, the new world's not yet arrived. And we're yeah. kind of writing our own destiny uh, in this this brief period of time. And we'll see, we'll see what the hell happens. Yeah. COVID accelerated that process like crazy. Agreed. Agreed. And, and, and COVID also showed that maybe we don't need offices anymore. Maybe we don't need the old style of schools anymore. You know, we do have technology where people can stay connected um, and, and still learn and still work and still do all the old things that we, we used to do, but we just, we're doing it in a safer, uh, and really more efficient manner in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, we needed needed this COVID, maybe not the 200,000 people who died. Maybe we didn't need that. The silver lining we needed. (laughs) Yes. We needed the silver lining. Yes, absolutely. Of the big giant doom cloud. There's always a silver lining. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, every was don't waste a, a good controversy or don't waste a good tragedy or whatever the the, the line is. Never, but, never let a good tragedy go to waste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and you see this like there's record numbers of small businesses uh, that are that are starting right now, um, virtual businesses. Right. Well, and, first, uh, first they were closing. That obviously yeah. COVID again. Sure, Talk, talking about education and, and the workplace and the economy. But yeah, um, COVID shut a lot of places are barely hanging in there to begin with down. Mm-hmm. But yes, because of all the money that's been pumped in the system, you're absolutely right. Now other new businesses are, are starting and some of the old ones that did adapt, right? Talking about that adaptability restaurants that figured out the face shields and they figured out their spacing, you know, they figured out to go, um, you know, and thankfully the government came along and Mike DeWine was like, yes, you can serve alcohol after 10 PM in a to-go cup or whatever the rules yeah. are now, you know, things do happen that allow, um, yeah, to allow the innovative to survive and persevere. Yeah. I mean, think back to the, the Great Depression. So many businesses were started then that still exist today. Um, yeah. I mean, that initial shock, sure, nobody wanted that to happen. Right. Very few people wanted that to happen. But uh, long term, I think it, it, you know, it it made way for things like, unfortunately, the military industrial complex was part of that with World War II. But but the, the interstate system and, you know, mm-hmm. that was like that infrastructure and nobody's talking about this. Like they're, they're making very veiled uh, references to infrastructure. Although Biden has, has gone into more detail over like what his infrastructure plan right. would be. Yeah. Um, and but, and Trump, Trump has touted an infrastructure plan since he ran and since he's been president and then they still haven't done anything. So. Yeah. He's like, he's like the, uh, the kid who uh, says, no, no, I'm, I'm going to have this, uh, this, my homework done. It's going to be done. It's going to be great. It's going to be the best grade you've ever seen. Yeah. Incredible grades, incredible A's. Yeah. So Mexicans ate my homework. <laughs> the Mexicans <laughs> ate my homework. Boy, Steve, you are on point. Make that your campaign slogan. 
You will slide, slide to the presidency. Steve, like I I ramble on this podcast and then Steve just chimes in with two words that sums up everything I said in the last like 10 minutes. That's typically how each episode goes. That's perfect. It's a good dynamic. It is. You guys should be governor and lieutenant governor, respectively. (laughs) It's an hour long speech that that could have been two minutes. Absolutely. Yeah. As as is everything these days. Right. Um, Let's kind of go go back into to comedy and what what the role of comedy is in this uh, this election cycle versus past election cycles. I mean, you've got SNL, you've got your late night hosts, and uh, I haven't been able to watch late night anymore. It's just the it's it's the same thing over and over again. And it's like you're not you're not telling me something new. Like I've. Uh, you can't listen to the, you can't have the same jokes over and over again. Like that. Right. I remember. Yeah, I did. Uh, uh, John Fugel saying is a, a great um, comic from the nineties who is still very funny, very relevant. He's got a show on serious <laughs> radio, but that's what we used to uh, talk about on his show is that um, even in 2017, Trump jokes just became hack. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, every New York open mic, I'm sure every Cleveland open mic, right? Somebody going up there, whoa, Trump, he's crazy. Or oh, that Cheeto, what a giant orange guy. You know, it was like literally just those. And then, yeah, now this year, it's just become like Trump's incompetent and COVID's terrible. And it's just been that and that. And all the comedians in their homes um, has been kind of... Uh, I mean, it was kind of nice for for some of them, and then others of them. You're like, you, you kind of wonder if they're actually happy uh, with their families and their family life and stuff. Um, mm. I, I 100% agree. In, in the age yeah. of Trump, political humor got real hack real fast. Mm. Yeah. And, and one of the things I used to, you know, say on the radio shows in New York and stuff is like, the nice thing about being from Ohio, in a way, is that I can't go down to Go Bananas and do a bunch of Trump jokes. Half of those people are, you know, probably voted for him. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. at least being from the Midwest, we kind of have to watch ourselves a little bit more. And I think, again, talk about that innovation factor. It forces us to to um, to touch other issues and approach things differently. So we're not just going in with all the same hacky Trump. Trump is orange jokes. Right. And like you were saying, we can all agree that the system needs fixed. The system is messed up. So I feel like that challenges us to write jokes about the system, to make comments on the system versus the people within the system. Absolutely. That's been done to death. Right. Yeah. Trump, Trump is not the cause of this disease, but he is a symptom. You Mm -hmm. know, he's just another one of those shitty symptoms of a shitty system. Um, And, uh, yeah, I it, it's you're absolutely right. It's it's been frustrating almost in a way. And by the way, if Biden wins, jokes aren't going to go away because that guy doesn't know what he's talking about half the times. Right, making right. up words and stuff. So uh, comedy will be fine either way. Yeah, I am worried about the state of the republic. But pony soldier we'll malarkey. Yeah, just all that. Shit. Yeah, dog face pony soldier. I'll kick your I'll kick the shit out of you right now, Jack. Hey, Push ups. I used to beat the shit up a black fella named Corn Pop. You know what I mean? Like, just like, what are you doing? I'll tell you right now, Corn Pop didn't vote for me and he's not black, but he is black. And yeah. I kicked his ass. I'd say in the last uh, four or five, five years, ever since Trump started running, I've kept my Trump jokes to like a minute and a half. Like yeah. of combined, like it's quick. It's to the point and they have to be really funny because, and they have to be like the right audience. Otherwise, I'm yes. not doing them because that shit gets old so fast and did, yeah. like you were saying. And it's never like, oh, he's orange. It's like something good, something clever, something quick. 
Yes. And then, yeah. And pretty neutral. It's not opinionated. It's just like a play on words. It's not like necessarily at his expense. Well, it is, but it's not like, you know, I'm not like, oh, I hate him. Yeah. It's more about the system. It's like, yeah, like the the clip you guys played for my album, um, you know, the, it's an evergreen bit about the system and the military budget. But, you know, at the same time, I started off by talking about Trump. And that's usually how mm-hmm. I broach any type of Trumpy topic is I can, you know, you kind of pull them in with a little bit of uh, here's what Trump's up to. And then, you know, you test the waters and then you actually go into your bigger systemic problems um, mm-hmm. and make jokes about those. So, yeah, names uh, and faces change. Exactly. I'm completely with you guys. It's it's. It's not the the politician in charge. It's the uh, system that is in charge of our politicians. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's a that's a point that I make. Um, I speak to organizations about like employee engagement and incorporating humor into the workplace. And uh, one of the points that I make is the fact that we question the person who comes to work like that marches to the beat of a different drum. Why do we question them when we question the system that stifles what they're best at? So we, mm-hmm. why not lean into this person who's always making jokes and use that as a tool to uplift other people around them and use, you know, what, what they're best at and what they enjoy doing versus yeah. like stifling what they're good at. Yeah, no, that is, that is, so you're basically doing, you, you need to start doing that, those seminars for politicians now. That's the yeah. next thing is to go tell Diane Feinstein not to yell at kids who want the Green New Deal and to not hug Lindsey Graham, you know, and, um, and just, yeah, incorporate new ideas. That's good. You're doing the Lord's work, David. That's hey, good. That's you know, it was goal. a huge red flag was when uh, Biden was like, the new Green Deal, the new Green Deal. It's like he clearly does not give a fuck about it because no, yeah. he can't even say it. <laughs> he can't say it. Well, he knows if he says fracking is bad, then he'll lose Pennsylvania. It's such a weird tightrope. Yeah. Everyone's got to walk. Yeah. Right. So. There's never the there's never like a message of hope, like a, a like a clairvoyant future. Like we're going to move away from fracking because it's it's a limited resource. It damages, you know, water tables and yeah. it does all these things it that you know make people sick around there. Yeah. Right. The earthquakes was my big thing. I was like yeah. there kept being earthquakes in Ohio like a few years ago. And I was like, I don't think they have their system down yet. Yeah, that's a problem. I feel yeah. like we're you're getting Earth. deep into the mantle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're getting into the crust. Mm, nom, 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 nom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, it uh, it goes back to the system. You know, when we're used to and, and we want to be comfortable. You know, if I've learned anything about human beings, is we hate change, we hate discomfort, but it's necessary, and that's the ultimate irony. Is that Things are constantly changing. Things are constantly moving forward. And an adherence to what things were before does nothing but leave you and the people in your wake behind. It's yeah. absurd to watch. Yeah. Totally, totally, totally with you guys. So the real question is, what do we do about it? And the answer is, I don't know. It's incremental changes. It's, yeah. I mean, honestly, I just keep trying to convince everyone I meet to run for local office just so they can understand what it's like and understand that that's all these people that come to power, they literally started at like city council and, you know, well, you know, obviously some of them have come from money or their parents are politicians. It's kind of like Hollywood in in that way. And and we're the indie filmmakers trying to, uh, to get 
get into Hollywood and, and take over the system. And it's happened before in Hollywood. It's happened in politics. I mean, AOC, I, I like AOC cause she's just shaking up the system. You know, she's just like yeah. working class, sassy Latina. And she gets in there and she makes fun of people a lot and she puts them in their place. And I'm like, hell yeah. I, you know, even if I don't agree with her on everything, um, I'm just glad that people are shaking it up. So it's yeah. not the end of the world. Um, again, I think a better world is coming. Uh, we just need Steve to become president. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the solution, really. Yeah, you got to smart people because, like you said, if you know you're the indie filmmakers, you just make a better film than all these people with the big budget and out, mm-hmm. outsmart them. Absolutely, yeah, and that's something <clears> that. As a, you know, with all my documentaries and with my killer raccoons movies, um, that's always what we got to do. You know, we only have so much money and you got to get the movie done. And um, so you innovate, you innovate, you get creative. Um, limit, limitation of resources is not a stifling of creativity. It is uh, a catalyst for creativity. Right. Absolutely. Right. You have to have guidelines. You have to, you can't just have like this giant, like unlimited canvas. There has to be something to press up against. It helps you focus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's good focusing right there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a thing that has been prevalent throughout all of history, going back to like comedians and making points on the system that, that people can agree with because I think you can go through all of history and find that most people are constantly questioning the status quo. Just most people are afraid to, to come out and talk about it openly. And that's where the, the comedian comes into play. So when people say, Hey, stick to comedy, don't talk about politics or Steve. I mean, you even had a, a club owner who shall re- uh, remain nameless, get on the mic uh, back in the sound booth and say, don't get political. But but that's the thing is that like <clears throat> people want an escape uh, from the politics, They w- but that doesn't mean they want to escape from somebody who has a good point. Uh, right. Also exactly. makes them laugh. He, he was, he, this is the thing. I was doing well. He was just hearing money leaving his cash register. Like he just yeah. felt like there was like a financial risk there, even though I was 30 seconds from closing the, like my five minutes. Yeah. And it was like the end of the show too. He had nothing to, you know, it was weird. That's your, uh, your, your wallet joke. <laughs> it was, that's a true story. I have a Trump wallet. Like, Oh really? Yeah. It's like from, well, I keep telling people it was from a thrift store. It was my dad's like, cause he sold shit at Macy's for like 20 years. We all know the Trump line of products he had at Macy's until they banned him when he became president. But, uh, right. they, uh, yeah, I have a Trump wallet. It's made out of leather. Uh, and it's made in India, so I just joke about how you know people worship cows, make wallets out of dead cows. So that, that's, that's all it is. It's very harmless. He wasn't actually listening to what you were saying, and that's that's something that you know we see quite a bit. Is you mention Trump or you mention politics as a comic, uh, people on either side will shut off versus mm-hmm. actually listening to the nuance in the joke, yeah. which which is no, I'm telling you that we're agree- in agreement with one another that this whole thing is messed up, but you're missing out on that. How would you uh, recommend people kind of make that connection with an audience? Where, whereas to, to get them to stop thinking that you're taking sides politically. Yeah. I, well, I usually open up 
make fun of myself and my own political career straight up top. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's been a great joke since 2018 where I can be like, Hey, I'm Travis Irvine. I was the uh, libertarian candidate for governor and back in 2018 and you know, like three people clap and I'm like, that's how many votes I got. Um, and you know, it's a good way to kind of put everyone's like, don't worry, I'm going to make fun of myself first. And then, and then, yeah, then I try to make some points, you know, it's, um, it's not just about Trump and, you know, and I go after everyone. It's a little bit of Biden. It's a little bit of Trump. It's a little bit of Bernie, um, you know, back in January, February, March, when you, when you had still like what, 15 candidates, um, you know, you go after everybody and, 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 you know, like we said, you, you stick to the system. It's the mm-hmm. system that is the problem here. Um, not just the fa- the rotating faces that come around every four years. Um, so that's what I always try to do. Make fun of myself first, make everyone feel comfortable with where I'm going, and then and then talk about the bigger things, the points that everyone can agree on. Plus, it's nice that, you know, you're demonstrating that you're coming from the outside, looking in on the traditionally binary approach that usual comedians do. It's one of the right or the left, so... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I should say Democrat versus Republican, right or left, same thing, but not quite. I mean, I get the, the nuance there, but yeah, people probably are relieved that you're not like exactly taking sides. So that really helps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I had jokes about both Cordray and DeWine. You know, I called uh, uh, Cordray a walking snooze button. Um, Mike DeWine, more like Mike <laughs> D. Mike D. Where are my keys? I'm old. Wow. <laughs> name like, with a name like DeWine, he should have aged better. He looks like the Mad Magazine kid got elderly. You know yeah. I mean? <laughs> we got jokes. We got jokes. You know, oh, and then, yeah. And then you turn it back on my, uh, turn it back on myself again. And that's, you know, all the DeWine people in the audience can calm down. Yeah. <laughs> but objectively, Mike DeWine does look like the Mad Magazine kid. Got right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just a good joke. As far as comedians who've been, I mean, there, there's any number of comics who kind of poke fun at the system. I mean, George Carlin, big one. Um, you know, you got Hicks, David Cross. Um, yeah. Bill, Bill Hicks, especially because 2000, I mean, I think the first time I did comedy was May 2003. Um, Dave Chappelle was my favorite, uh, uh, definitely at that time. And then I discovered Bill Hicks in 2004. And Bill Hicks was this, you know, comedian making fun of Republicans and a president named Bush and a, a war in Iraq and evangelicals and Rush Limbaugh. And I'm hearing this stuff in 2004 and be like, man, I got to see this guy live. And they're like, oh, he's been dead for 10 years. He made these jokes in 1991. And you're like, fuck, that is just so, that blew my mind that he could be relevant 10 years after he died. Um, And, you know, now all of his stuff uh, holds up. You know, there's some stuff that I think would be considered not PC anymore. But, you know, Hicks was a road comic in the 80s, so he had to... Do you know he he would fight audiences? Um, American Scream is a great book um, on on Bill Hicks and just the you know we're talking about like the like I'm here in Wyoming you know the dumbing down of America. Bill Hicks talked about that when I was five years I was barely even a, a kid I was five years old maybe you know when Bill Hicks was really hitting his stride in the in the eighties. Um, and then he started to get political and that's how he challenged those audiences, right. To, to think differently about things. And mm-hmm. it didn't always work, but Bill Hicks was a, a big influence when I, when I first discovered him for sure. I mean, that's just like taking a, any risk, you know, it's not always going to work, but when it does, it's way more rewarding than if you're, you know, you're playing it safe. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it was, you know, especially comedy development, it was like, okay, Dave Chappelle, 
made me think about things in a different way um, in college. And then, and then Bill Hicks made me want to get more political. And then I noticed that I would start to act too much like the comedian. I was, you know, like Dave Chappelle. I remember like my first time doing comedy was doing jokes about the Ohio university dorm rooms, but in a Dave Chappelle voice, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then when I got into Hicks, I started yelling too much. And it's just cause you know, I was not a real comedian yet. I was just, seeing what other seeing and listening to what other people would do and trying to put my own spin on it. And I think it was nice. And that's why I say 2007 is finally the year that I found my own individual voice, you know, running for mayor, uh, white guy dreadlocks, things that that were personal about me. Um, and so that's, I think, you know, I always credit Dave Chappelle, Bill Hicks, David Cross, um, Patton Oswalt, they had political, you know, um, one of the first comedy albums making fun of George Bush after 9-11 was David Cross's Shut Up You Fucking Baby and I thought that was great Patton Oswalt making fun of George Bush in uh, Werewolves and Lollipops 2007 or it might have been that might have been 2005 or 2007 either way I was just anybody who could be political but like you guys have been saying keep it in that that safe still funny place um, I really respect it. There's too many, so many people got too preachy. I mean, there's a, a guy named Jamie Kilstein who used to open for Doug Stanhope. And I love Doug Stanhope. Oh my God. When I found Bill Hicks, then I found Doug Stanhope and it was yeah. like, Oh, cool. Uh, I'll just go see him since he's alive. Um, yeah. You know, uh, barely now. I mean, good Lord, the man <laughs> punishes his own body uh, um, pretty relentlessly. But yeah, Stanhope was a great one that I would, I, I would try to see Stanhope every year if I could, cause I just wanted to hear what his take on things was, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, all those guys meant a lot and they, they kept politics in a funny place, which I really always respect and always stuck with me. And then I try to make that part of what I do. Right. Th those are the comics that stick out to me too. You know, you've got to, again, it's, questioning the system constantly questioning the system and making it funny because that's how you connect with everybody yeah you know um if you're yeah. if you're watching the news it's a very within the system perspective whereas if you watch comedians talking about the news for them the the great ones uh they're they're talking about the system and that's that can't be reiterated enough right for something to change you know I mean, personally, this is that's how I cope with uh, massive amounts of change in my own life. I find what's funny about it, and then that helps me move on to the next thing. Um, yeah, and and that can be the case too with politics. And that's you know that's that's what drew me to Andrew Yang was when he was questioned about Trump. He was like, "I don't want to talk about Trump. Trump is a symptom. Right. What we want to talk about is the actual problem." The, the systemic problems that have been pervading the system for centuries. And that's, that's like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're like, okay, cool, dude. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm a hundred percent with you guys. It's, um, you know, and then again, you, you see too many comedians fall into that, that trap of like, like Jamie Kilstein, you know, or even um, there's a guy I like a lot, this guy, Lee Camp. Um, who, who I, I mean, I enjoy his company, I enjoy his comedy, but you know, when I see him, it's a lot of like yelling political points and people who are there to see more political stuff clap, you know, it's more, um, clapping than laughing. Yeah. Um, and, um, and you know, I, I wanted to stay away from that. You know, you, you want to be mad, you want to be fired up. Um, you know, I remember back in January, I was doing jokes on, you know, Trump had just killed the Iranian general and I was 
so you know that's and I brought back that the bit that you played about the military budget and everything. Um, but at the end of the day, you still gotta you know keep it funny, clown, right? So um, it's there's always a way to make the points. And um, oh, there's a, a, Brian Unger is a, an Ohio um, comedian and satirist. Uh, he, he's he's been on tons of shows. He's like a perennial TV host type guy, and he that- went to. I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He went to Ohio university. Um, I mean, yeah, he plays like the lawyer and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. He's just like got like random bits throughout, but he spoke at my gener- uh, my, uh, my uh, graduation from Ohio university. And it was so cool to have a satirist speak at my college graduation, but he had a great line that I always love quoting. And that is that um, satire is just a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Right. It's a joke yep. with some tough information. And that's that's the job of a political comedian and a satirist for sure. Right. You can you can preach all you want, but if you don't make it funny, you don't make that emotional connection. Like it's like a cheat code. Yeah. And and then and again, back to the same way with politicians. If you can make your point um, without berating people and like actually like, you know, again, politicians who can tell a joke. Politicians who can't tell a joke are very cringeworthy, mm-hmm. you know, um, but politicians who can pull one off. Um, I, I've, I've, you know, you just almost trust them more. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, you know, you're a real human who with real feelings and you can connect to people. So yeah, that also goes into not taking yourself so seriously too. It, like as a, as a political, if you're going to make comments on the political system as a comic, like you have to be open to like you do, you know, you make fun of your, your attempts at running for office and that instantly makes a connection. So you're now on your soapbox. You're now eye to eye with, with the people in the room, which is yeah. And, and something that Ben Kissel, cause um, our documentary uh, hail yourself America is when I ran Ben Kissel's campaign for Brooklyn borough president back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Cause Ben Kissel, I mean, we both comedians, he's a very successful podcaster. Um, and we were just roommates in New York. And after, 2016, Ben was like, you know what? Um, he knew that I had run before and he was like, I want to run. And, you know, a lot of the lessons that we learned from that campaign, at least that Ben likes to talk about when we hit the road, when we're allowed to hit the road again and talk to people about it is we're all very much alike. And when you go door to door, when you go, when you're actually politicking to people are, you find out that everyone, uh, you know, they're a hell of a lot like you. Um, and we all kind of do want the same simple things. It's just a matter of how we get there. So if we actually start talking to each other and get on the same level, that's when you can finally make that connection and we can move forward together. Cause at the end of the day, like you guys have said, we're all in this together. Yeah. Any, uh, any, I mean, that, that's a good <laughs> closing note. We're, we're running out of time here. Yeah, we finally ended on a positive note. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah. Before we dive into anything else, let's mm-hmm. let's let's close on a positive note. Yeah, we're in this together. Uh, you can find me on the internet at Travis Irvine USA uh, across all social media platforms. Uh, is this <laughs> the part where I promo stuff? Yeah, Sorry, absolutely. I if, I, no, you went I for it. I got everyone uh, connected on positivity. Now buy my shit. Um, yep. So <laughs> this is your okay. this is your chance. Plug. Okay. Plug, here we go. So um, the comedy album is Guy from Ohio. Um, the only place I've ever sold out of my CDs is Cleveland. 
So I love Cleveland. All the CD players went to Cleveland, I guess. <laughs> um, and I respect <laughs> Cleveland for that. Um, the movies, uh, uh, the Killer Raccoon movies for Halloween or uh, Christmas, because they're both. Um, first uh, Raccoon movie is called Coons, Night of the Bandits of the Night. And then we were, uh, realized not to call the sequel that. So the sequel is Killer Raccoons 2, Dark Christmas in the Dark. That'll be a fun Christmas movie to help you forget your holiday woes. Um, and, and, and then, yes, the political documentaries are all on Vimeo now, all on one channel, Overbytes Pictures, Vimeo channel. And that is American Mayor, uh, Hail Yourself America, starring Ben Kissel. And uh, our new one that we just released this year is uh, How America Killed My Mother, starring Ed Larson and Jeff Ross. Uh, Ed Larson is Jeff Ross' cousin. They work together. Ed's mom died. Um, it's Jeff's aunt. And we made a documentary about how, um, again, the system, killed her. It's a rotating uh, group of faces of people who denied her medical insurance, medical help, um, credit card loans, all kinds of things, but it's the system that ended up killing her. So um, how America killed my mother. Talk about trying to put a positive spin on a, a super sad thing, but that's the new one and we're really proud of it. So please watch that before election day and vote this year like your mother's life depends on it. Right. Yeah. Don't mail it in anymore. Just go vote. <laughs> Just go, go vote. Vote. Shove it Drop in the it box. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I already did that. Me too. Cool. So uh, I think I think we've ended on a pretty positive note there. Uh, no yeah. matter if you feel like the system is keeping you down, just know the system is constantly changing, and know that if you keep that in mind, that you can laugh at that. Absolutely. Well put, David. Yes. Steve, what do you got? Sum it up in less time than that. Oh yeah. Two words. Um, go vote. <laughs> Whoa, Steve, some pressure. Boom, mind blown. We did it. Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Gold Knox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, professional. Uh, He makes podcasting easy. And uh, if if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Gold Knox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.